Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here with you today. I'm excited to be up here sharing from God's Word. And I'm excited to have another sunny day. Hasn't God been so gracious to us this summer? Such a blessing. So last week we continued our series titled, What Do We Do? And we've been looking at big issues and asking the question, what do we do? And, and as we look around the world, we, we looked last week at how to serve those inside the church. And today we're going to look at how to serve those outside the church. And, and we see many needs, poverty, broken families, the orphan crisis, a lack of access to clean water. The needs go on and on. And with so many needs going on around in the world, we often ask, well, what, what can I really do? We get analysis paralysis. We look around at all the needs and say, there's so many needs and I have so few resources. How could I really help change something? We become paralyzed and end up doing nothing. But the Bible is clear that we need to do something. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, it says, if anyone among you is poor, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. So what would happen during that time is, in the seventh year, the year of the Jubilee, the debts would be forgiven. So when it got to be year five, year six, the Israelites would start to say, well, there's not a very good likelihood that if I loan somebody money or I do this, that I'll, I'll get repaid. And so they had closed hands. It says, then they may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Jesus came to the earth as a, a poor man whose birth was announced to poor, humble shepherds. He was homeless during His ministry, going town to town depending on the generosity of others. He continued to minister to the poor, the oppressed, the sick, and the outcast. When Jesus spoke in the synagogue, He quoted Isaiah as a prophetic word about Himself, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on Me, because He has anointed Me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent Me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Bible is clear. All throughout, I spent hours whittling down the amount of scriptures for this sermon because the Bible throughout it shows this idea of justice for the poor, of caring for the poor, of providing for the poor. And so as we look at that issue, it becomes this big issue that we don't know what to do. So my prayer is today that we will just look at maybe one tangible way that each of us can participate in this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look around, the needs are overwhelming. And especially as we look how COVID has impacted countries like India and, and, and many of the countries in Africa and some of the countries where poverty was already rampant and how it's hitting Haiti with some of my friends there as missionaries and, and sharing what it's doing there. And, and Lord, there's just so many needs. And so often when we look around, we just don't know what to do. 
And it's easy when we don't know what to do to just stop and do nothing. So Lord, I, I pray that as we look at your word that we'll be challenged by the scripture's call to care for the oppressed, to care for the poor, to care for the brokenhearted. And then we'll look at specific ways that we can be involved in being people of your word, who study your word, who live out your word in our everyday life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was thinking through how to frame this, I thought I'd kind of help us think through it with relational spheres. We all have different areas, different spheres of our lives that are involved in different kinds of relationships. So today I want to look at five different spheres of influence and think about how in each of those areas, maybe we can care for the poor, the oppressed, and the outcast. So I'm going to look today at our home or our family, our, our church family, our relational community, our physical community, and our global community. First, our home. In 1 Timothy 5, 1-8, it talks about the need to provide for our family, but not only that, for our relatives. So it talks about when if widows are in a situation where they don't have any family to take care of them, then the church steps in. But that first step should be the family to step in and take care of widows if they have any family. But I think one thing when we think about this is often we... We're in a society that's all about building our wealth and, and building our nest egg. And so we often think about retirement. We think about all those different things. In Matthew six eleven, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says how to pray, He says, give us this day our daily bread to provide for our daily needs. But often as Christians in one of the most affluent societies in the history of mankind, we get so caught up in not just our daily bread, but our weekly bread, our monthly bread, our retirement bread, all those different things. I think that leads to a lack of contentment. So the first question as we start to think of how to live out and pursue things is to ask, are we content with what God has given us? We spend our time focusing on all the other things we want, all the other things we desire. And so we say, well, I don't have any money to help any of them because I still need this for me. So there is a command to provide for our home, to provide for our family if we have one. But also we need to think through, are we just self-focused? Second, our church family. 1 John 3, 16-18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now listen to this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, has no pity or no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions or in truth. So if we have the material possessions to help and we see a brother or sister in need, another passage that says that if we just say, go, go and be well and be fed, and yet we don't do anything, we're missing the boat. In Acts 2, at the very beginning of the church, we see the church living out this communal attitude of providing for each other. They sold their properties and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Acts 2.45 And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church was living out these principles and as they did that, people from the outside looked in and said wow that's something different. Is the way we are using our funds, is the way we are caring for others in our church body, a witness to the outside world. So they look in and say, wow, that's different. And so as we look around, 
We look at all the different needs that exist in our body, financial needs, and that's why we give to the benevolent fund. And that's why we set up funds for like Ben and Courtney's adoption so that people could give to help them to have this beautiful baby boy in their family. Physical needs. I know this is the area that I lean on the church the most. My dad was a preacher and he passed on the gift of preaching. And he didn't know how to hammer and he passed that ability on to me. I'm the least handy person in the history of mankind. Well, my dad might be, but I'm like right behind him. And so... I've leaned on some of the people in the church to to help with some of those things. But others might need help mowing the lawn or fixing something that's broke. We have physical needs that exist in the church body. Emotional needs. In the midst of this pandemic, many people are isolated and they they feel lonely. So taking time to meet people's emotional needs by calling them or, or writing them a card. Spiritual needs, praying for people, inviting them to a discipleship group or a Bible study, driving them to the church. Family needs. Sorry, I was sick two weeks ago and it's just lingering. And so I have a little bit of cough, but it's not COVID. You're safe. There's been a test and everything else. So we're good. I'm still wearing a mask. I'm out there to protect you guys. But if I cough, don't. You're like 100 feet away, so you're safe. And I will sanitize my hands after I just coughed on them. And Ben, just stay away from the mic. Anyways, so family needs. Consider the relational conditions of the poor. More than 70% of poor families are host headed by a single parent. And if you're a single parent in America, 40% of people that are single parents are in poverty. And in fact, if you're... Born and raised outside marriage, you're five times more likely to be poor. So how would you consider partnering with maybe young couples to become a marriage mentor? To come alongside them and and help support them and help them understand that, you know what, marriage is hard. It takes work. But if you put the work in, you can have a wonderful marriage. Would you consider partnering with a single mother to help provide support and babysitting? Would you consider volunteering at Alpha Women's Center to help support single mothers and provide them with resources and and parenting training so they can be successful? In our church, we pass out that survey. It's in the bulletin, but it's also online. If you just go on our webpage, it's right on the front page there. I sent on the email as well. And part of the purpose behind that survey is we want to make sure we're, we're caring effectively for people. So it has simple things like I'd be willing to give someone a ride somewhere. I'd be willing to send someone a card. Ways that you can be involved in caring for the body of Jesus Christ. And so as we think of the needs that exist out there, we have this relational sphere of our home and and our family, our church family, but also our relational community. We're all involved in relationships outside of the church with co-workers, neighbors, those kind of things. In Luke 14, 12-13, Jesus says this, When you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, is Jesus here saying you can never have a dinner and invite some friends over? No. In that time, what would often happen is that people would invite the affluent and the rich to their banquets. Because banquets were quite expensive. So their thought process is, I want to increase my status. 
And so I'll invite all these rich and, and people to come because I know that then they'll invite me to their banquets. And maybe I can build some business relationships and, and grow in this. But Jesus is saying, no, don't invite people that are beneficial to you. Invite the poor and the oppressed. Invite those that, that uh, not your friends or your relatives, your rich neighbors, but the crippled, the lame, the blind. They cannot repay you, but you will be repaid. So how are we purposeful in our relationships? Not to only build relationships with people that will benefit us. That's easy, right? To build friendships with people that, that have the same likes as us and enjoy the same things as us or maybe may provide us with some benefit. But it's harder to build relationships with people that are hard, that are tough. That the whole part of the relationship is you building into them, not this mutual edification. In Psalm 41, 1, it says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. Do we have regard for the weak? Are you looking for needs that you can fill around you? Physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs, spiritual needs, and your neighbors, in your social groups, among your co-workers. If you have kids, among other parents at the school, or, your, or the teachers... I'm excited to coach soccer in a couple weeks, if it happens, COVID. But if it does, I'm excited to build relationships with parents and, and, and other kids. With looking out and finding single mothers to come alongside. I, I know when we look at our church and some of the ways that it's grown, you know, I just think of one of the sweet members of our church, and she was going to school, and she built a relationship with a couple ladies from our church, and they invited her daughter to Awana, and she brought her daughter to Awana, and then got plugged into church, and then got saved and baptized, and it was just this amazing thing where just some people living out their Christian life as they dropped their kids off at school. And so we need to think about how can we meet needs in our home, or in our family, in our church family, in our relational community, and also in our physical community, in our neighborhoods. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. And for yourself, yourselves, we're foreigners in Egypt. And right now, we're in the middle of one of the biggest refugee crises in the world, in the, exist, in the in history of the world. And we have people coming over here who often don't know English and struggle to find how to do things. And there are many different ways you can get involved in that. For our home, it was, they weren't really, they were foreigners, but we just brought them into our home to live with us because they were exchange students. There's different ways you can do this. In Galatians 2.10, it says, All they asked, and this is Paul talking, was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Paul said, I was eager to do this work. They asked me to continue it, and I was eager because that was something I, I was doing all along. And so as a church, we're involved in hand-to-hand, -hand, a ministry that provides food to, to kids, and that's one simple way we can do that. Every couple of weeks, or every couple of years, sorry, we head down to the DR, and, and we build homes for people that need it, Casas Por Cristo. And some people might say, well, that's not a real mission trip. You're not going there and leading the VBS and some other things. But on average, with every home that's built with Casas Por Cristo, three people come to know Jesus, accept Christ, become plugged in a local biblical community. Why? Because they see the hands and feet of Jesus living and acting in their local community. And so we come along pastors and churches in those areas and we support them and they're able to do the work of evangelism. 
my dad was a missionary in the Philippines for 15 years, and he said that one of the best ways to get people out of poverty was for them to come to know Jesus. And I was asking them, okay, why is that? He said, well, one, there's a couple things. First, they get plugged into a church family that loves and shares and helps them, helps them be successful. But then also, as they get plugged into a local church, they, they start to have a different morality and they their emphasis of their spending is different. So maybe they were spending a lot on alcohol and some other things. And they saved money there. And, and he said what we saw was usually by the second generation of people that had accepted Christ. They had come out of poverty. And that's just one circumstance in the Philippines. But it was interesting part of this dynamic of people coming to know Christ and, and getting involved in a community that supports them and helps them thrive. We have a benevolent fund. And part of the reason for that is we want to have opportunities to meet the needs of people in our community. And it's difficult when people come off off the street because you have no idea if there's a scam artist or what's going on. But we have different examples of people that came off the street and then got saved and got plugged into to North Park. All because we, we met that need. So there are different ways to meet the needs in our physical community. Are you looking around in your neighborhoods for the needs that you might be able to meet? And then lastly, our global community. And 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5 said, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Would you prayerfully consider how you can help with global needs? What we saw in these Macedonian churches is that they saw a need and even though they were facing extreme poverty, they gave abundantly more than they could even afford. They were eager to do this. And we have, as the Christian church in America, we have the ability to have, we have access oftentimes. Well, I wouldn't consider any of us here poor in the sense of what the world considers poor. Nearly half of the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. One billion children worldwide are living in poverty. And as I looked at that, those stats years ago, I said, I can't solve world poverty, but I can solve it for one person. And so back in 2012, we supported uh, Corona, ironically is her name, that's spelled differently, in Haiti. I've been supporting her ever since. So I can't solve global poverty, but I can solve it for Corona. And over there at the table, Compassion International actually sponsors 1.9 million kids. They have food, they have clothing, they have education. And they're taught about Jesus. And many of them, like Corona, the child we support, came to a saving relationship in Jesus because of the work of Compassion International. Now they love the Lord. And that ministry actually began in the heart of one man who was moved by the plight of, of the Korean War orphans. Reverend Everett Swanson was on a successful preaching tour in South Korea when he encountered bitter poverty of Korea's unwanted children. And so he founded something that now supports 1.9 million kids. There are other ministries like Kiva.org where you can where you can give a loan to someone 
and someone in the, all these different countries, and you can pick the different person that you want to partner with for as low as $25. And then they use the loan, they pay you back, and then you can take that money that you use to, to help give a loan to that person and give it to someone else. 35% of the world doesn't have access to clean water. And so if you like to run, um, World Vision is a marathon, a half marathon every year. And you can run and, and, and raise money to support World Vision going and putting uh, clean water in places and sharing the gospel. Orphans. There are 153 million orphans worldwide. 400,000 kids in the foster care system in America. <clears throat> I know I can't solve the global orphan crisis, but I can solve it for one. And so that's why Sandy and I started doing training to, to adopt through the foster care system. And really encourage you to look throughout the church. There is a ton of people right now that are in that same process of adoption. I'm so excited how that passion has been spread in our church. But then there's also this global act, lack of access to the gospel. As I talked about what my dad said of giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. 3.22 billion people live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you consider daily praying for our missionaries? Would you consider answering the call? Saying to the Lord, here I am. Send me. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Would you pray about that? Would you consider that? And so as we seek to look at all our relational spheres, our home, with our family, our, our church family, our relational community, our physical community, our global community, I just want, to, want you to walk away with three principles today. Really simple principles. And I'm going to ask you to repeat them a couple times because I want them to linger. They're in the, in the bulletin notes, so if you don't have the bulletin, write it down somewhere. If you have the bulletin, circle it. Three words, contentment, purpose, and generosity. I want you to repeat those words. Let's see. Contentment, purpose, generosity. First contentment, 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Man, that's a challenge. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We live in a culture that is the enemy of contentment. Everywhere we go, there's advertisements for this new phone that you need, this new TV that you need, this new car that you need. For some reason, there are people out there that are buying matching cars for Christmas. It exists on the commercials at least. Although I do have a family member, they have his and hers cars with the same cars, and I've always, like, that'd be kind of fun. Seeing that when we first started dating, we both had 1986 Ford Escorts. Mine was a wagon. I call it the heavy metal hatchback. I like uh, hard rock music. Anyways, uh, but they were really old. They were really old cars. That car went zero to 60 sometimes. So not exactly the ones that are in the commercials. Anyways, uh, but the enemies of contentment that exist in our society. We, we look around in our neighborhood. We see neighbors have better houses and, and better cars and better lawns. And, and we find that we're envious. Or we go to our family get-togethers or get together with our friends. We walk in our houses and we're... We're envious of the, the different things that they have that we wish that we have. I, I know that when uh, we were living in an apartment, I was like, man, it would just be so great to have the space of a house. 
And then we moved into our first house, and it was like, oh, man, I wish we would have a basement so the kids could be really loud, and we could be like, yeah, go have fun, be loud, it's okay. Then we got a basement, and I was like, man, I really wish we could have one of those bathrooms by our bedroom that other people have that we could just have to ourselves. And I, I find that the more you get, oftentimes it leads to a lack of contentment. When we had nothing, we were just so content with what we had. And I think oftentimes when we grow in money, then, then we find ourselves having less contentment. Even the TV shows uh, contribute to this. We, we like watching those shows on HD, HGTV where they, they go and they find a bargain beachfront house and they tear it up and they redo it. But I'm like, I, we couldn't afford to bargain one even to... Anyways, that's beside the point. But still, you're like, you look and you're like, wow, it's on the beach, it's so beautiful, and, it's, and it can be easy to be envious I think another thing that leads to a lack of contentment is we would neglect reading God's Word. God's Word has this ability to humble us and to put our priorities in the right place. I would encourage you as we, as we go on this endeavor here in September, where we're going to go through the whole Bible in one year. It's not every single chapter, but two chapters a day, five days a week, this journey through the Bible. I would encourage you to really commit to it. I know oftentimes... Uh, we commit to going through the Bible in one year, and we're doing really good through Genesis, and, and the Exodus, we're going great, and then we get to Leviticus, and we're like, oh, we start to struggle. And this, this Bible plan is designed to help you have, be successful in going through the Bible for one year. And we're going to encourage you to do it with your kids and with your teens, and, and to do it in groups. If you're not in a discipleship group, now is a great time, as, as with COVID has kind of messed up a lot of things, now is a great time to, to start a D group with with three other women or three other men, if you're a guy, to start that D group and to go through these readings together and to learn from God's Word. I believe the biggest thing that we can do to be content in life is to read God's Word. But because he cha- God challenges us where we're weak, He challenges us when we're off, and the Bible encourages us to live a godly life. Matthew 6.21, again, Give us this day our daily bread. So contentment. Let's repeat those words again. Contentment, purpose, generosity. Second purpose. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world, and I would argue that that would be most of us, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So those of us that have these possessions, we're to use them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share, so that our purpose, there will be this firm foundation in the coming age. What is the purpose of your money? What's the purpose of your house? What's the purpose of your belongings and all your stuff? Who owns your stuff? Is it yours? Or is it God's? If we think of everything that we have as the Lord's, it changes our perspective. When someone needs a car, it's not my car, it's the Lord's. Go take it. Go borrow it. When... When someone needs a place to stay, it's not my house, it's the Lord's. When we were buying our house, we specifically wanted a four-bedroom house because we're like, God, we know you're going to fill these houses and we don't know with who or 
Well, yeah, just with two. I was gonna say with two or with what, but I, yeah. I guess we got a dog, so I mean that is a what. <laughs> but we didn't know, and so we said, God, you just fill our home, fill these rooms. And we've only had a couple months in the two and a half years we've lived that we haven't had someone live in our house, exchange students, a, a friend who needed a place to stay. God has been so faithful. Now we prepare that house, hopefully for a new addition to our home. We don't know what God's gonna do with that, but what's what's the purpose? Not only of our stuff, but what's the purpose of your shape? We talked about how we're all shaped uniquely, how we have spiritual gifts and we have a heart and we have abilities and a personality and experiences. What's the purpose of the way that God has shaped you and how can you use that shape to love others through Christ in your different relational spheres? How has God shaped you and how can you use that to meet others' needs? So we have contentment, purpose. Everything we have is God's to be used for His glory. And lastly, generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed, that's God, to the sower, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why does God give us more? As we're generous, as we give, as we give sacrificially of ourselves, God gives us more. Why? Is it so that we can accrue more stuff, so we can have a better home, so we can have a better car, so we can have a better vacation, so we can have all this stuff? No. It's so that you can be generous on every occasion. How do I use my resources to bless others? As we give to the Benevolent Fund, we've been able to help a family that was homeless to get them a vehicle. We've been able to help uh, them get furniture and other needs. We've been able to help a, a family from our church that was in a really tough spot and, and give them mentors and, and help them move forward. Those are just some examples. And so those are ways that the Benevolent Fund is used. But how can you use your resources to be generous and bless others? Is it through Compassion International? Is it through Kiva? Is it through the Benevolent Funds? Is it through giving to the church and trusting the church will use those funds for what they need to be used for? Is it coming alongside a single mother and providing uh, babysitting free of charge? Is it coming alongside a family that is uh, fostering and giving them respite, giving them breaks? What are the ways that you can be generous today? Uh, at the beginning of COVID, we had a, a, a church member who um, had gotten their tax returns back, and she said, I don't need it. Let's use it for people. Go and buy $100 gift cards and give them to people that have needs. And so we were able to bless families that lost their jobs and say, here, go get some groceries. It was just a, a simple lady who took the call to be generous seriously. How could you be generous today? How can you grow in your contentment? you see everything that you own with a purpose. It's God's stuff, not mine, to be used for God's glory. And how can you be generous? I encourage you in the back of the, the sermon notes, there's some questions to ask yourself to go through.
to prayerfully consider how can I use my resources for God's glory so that His name will be known in my family, in my church, in my relationships, in my neighborhood, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for challenging me this week. There are so many times where I'm selfish, where I'm envious, where I want to build my own stuff, where I focus on my needs. And God, help me to be a person that sees all of my stuff as a gift from you to be given back to you in whatever way you want it to be done. Lord, and help us to live out those principles today in our church, to be people who are content, who see our stuff as yours to be used for a purpose and who live out a life of generosity, to look out in every relational sphere that we have to see the needs and to be generous. Help us to not be people that with closed fists who hold on to our stuff, but as the Scripture said about Israel, to be open-handed to the poor, to look for the needs and look for the ways that we can provide. Lord, use us to build your kingdom as we go out and live as your kingdom ambassadors in this earth. In your name we pray. Amen.